Good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I'm your host, Casey Hendrickson. This week, I'm also covering for Pat. I'll just get out of the way. Sorry, Pat. It's, uh, yeah, it, it's, we're, we're probably going to make him a little nervous today. Is poor Pat. Every time I fill in for Pat, I always have to apologize for him because he's so wholesome, and I'm not. <laughs> and it's uh, it's going to be one of those weeks. So we'll get the sorry Pat out of the way, and I want to thank the Fort Wayne audience for joining us. 1190-1075-FM will be with us today as well. All right, let's just start off with the big news. Uh, late Friday, Indiana became the first state in the nation to approve abortion restrictions since the SCOTUS ruling on Roe v. Wade. And our governor uh, did something right. It, it occasionally, like clock, uh, clock is right twice. I was thinking Peter Pan. So the clock and the clock actually go together. A clock is right twice a day. Holcomb got this one, got this one right. So Holcomb signed it. Um, one thing that I will always say, I have my issues with Holcomb. And most of you know that, but uh, Holcomb has always been pro-life. He's never shied away from that. It's one of the few issues he's vocal about. And uh, he signed this thing very, very, very fast. And he made it crystal clear. He's like, I've always been pro-life. Sign. So he did. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to get your reaction to this. We'll go over the the article. We'll go over the the bill, what it actually does. But I do want to get your reaction. Doesn't matter which audience you're in. If you're in Michiana, if you're in the Fort Wayne area, doesn't matter. The phone number to join us, 574 25 95-95-3. No, it's a weird number. Every time I say it to uh, somebody new for the first time, they get weirded out by it. 574-25-95-95-3. That's 2595-953. And call and let us know what you think of the Indiana abortion law. Uh, the ban which takes effect on September 15th. So this will write that, Ben, just write that down. Because inevitably, you are going to get phone calls. And when does it go into effect? September 15th is when the new law goes into effect. That way, you don't have to ask me and and that sort of thing. So it'll take effect September 15th. It includes some exceptions. Abortions would be permitted in cases of rape or incest before 10 weeks post-fertilization to protect the life and physical health of the mother. And if a fetus is diagnosed with a lethal anomaly. Okay. Uh, Victims of rape and incest would not be required to sign a notarized affidavit attesting to an attack as uh, had once been proposed. All right. Under the bill, abortions can be performed only in hospitals or outpatient centers owned by hospitals, meaning all abortion clinics would lose their licenses. Now, I find this one to be particularly interesting considering Governor Holcomb going to bat for a particular abortion clinic in South Bend. Uh, including violating state law in order to push for that abortion clinic, which is, it was very weird, it was very bizarre, not really sure what he was doing there. A doctor performs an illegal abortion or fails to file required reports must also lose their medical license. Wording that tightens current Indiana law that says a doctor may lose their license. So it went from may to, yeah, we're taking your license away. Uh, What do we have here? I am personally most proud of each Hoosier who came forward to courageously share their views in a debate that is unlikely to cease anytime soon. Governor Holcomb said in a statement announcing that he had signed the measure. For my part as your governor, I will continue to keep an open ear. So once again, um, it passed the Senate 28 to 19, passed the House 62 to 38. 
in the state of Indiana. For those of you on the Michigan side of the border, I'm sorry. Uh, you still got uh, still got stretch over there, but we're hoping that Tudor Dixon takes care of that. Uh, let's see. Indiana was among the earliest Republican-run state legislatures to debate tighter abortion laws after the SCOTUS ruling in June that removed constitutional protections for the procedure. But it is the first state to pass a ban through both chambers after West Virginia lawmakers on July 29th passed up the chance to be that state. So I, it, this is, and again, I'm sure that most of you are well aware of this. I know that some of you will probably be a little confused on the, you know, the aspect of, you know, what what exactly are the restrictions here? What are the exceptions? That sort of thing. When does it go into effect? So hopefully that's been cleared up. I know that there will still be questions going forward, but ultimately I wanted to open this up because, you know, we're the first state to do this. Um, Indiana is largely seen as a pro-life state. And as a result, a lot of people in this state support this. There's certainly going to be people who do not, but I wanted to go ahead and turn it over to you and get all of your reactions, whether you're for or against. I've seen some people who, by the way, um, are opposed to abortion who don't like this bill. They don't like it at all. So everybody's got kind of a mix of feelings and, and stuff like that. So I just figured I would go ahead and and I would uh, I would just let you know this is your this is your show for at least the next 20 minutes or so. We'll let you all weigh in on this. Give us your opinion. 574-2595-953. That's the Glass Doctor of Elkhart, St. Joseph County phone line, 574-259-953. To the phone lines we go. Ryan, welcome to the program. Hey, Casey, what's up, man? How you doing? Pretty good, you? I'm hanging in there. So what do you think? So honestly... I am so happy this bill finally passed, especially I, I kind of also like that uh, in extreme circumstances like, you know, rape, incest or other things that that's included in the bill that you can get an abortion if one of those things happen. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it, no, pe regular people just can't go out and get an abortion. So now people can actually be smart and just don't have sex if they don't want a baby. But that's really difficult to do because like some people just really want it. Yeah, I know. You know, uh, and it's then like, there's also condoms too. Yeah, have, you, you have like, you know, a light beer and some beer nuts and you're lonely. Hot sauce. You know, maybe it's uh maybe don't do this after hot sauce. Uh you know, it gets lonely <laughs> and you you just, you know, you just it's like I need somebody to uh, pretend that they like me for, you know, 3 or 4 minutes. And and then it's just it's hard. It's hard for people to hold off. It's difficult. It really, it really, really is. But at the same time, now I think people will kind of start building up that self-control is what I'm hoping. Ah, so we'll see about that. Interesting. Interesting theory. All right. I appreciate it, Ryan. Thanks for the call. Okay. All right. Oh, let's go, Brandon. There you go. I appreciate it. 574-2595-953. That is 2595-953. Ben Dallas, what's up, man? How you doing? Hey, how's it going, Casey? Hanging in there, dude. Awesome, awesome. Hey, um, just to let you know, um, there is a school board meeting tonight. I hope you, uh, I hope you see it. <laughs> Some interesting things are going to come out. Interesting. All right, I'm looking forward to it. All right. So, hey, um, I'm I'm happy with the bill. Anyways, okay. I'm I'm glad I'm glad about the, the exceptions. Um, I know a lot of people aren't, and that's okay. Um, for me, I think the only argument the left has, the only argument, is um the point zero two percent of abortions. They happen because of rape and incest and the life of the mother being at risk. So when you take that out of the equation, mm -hmm. 
really nobody on the left can really be against this bill, if we're being intellectually honest here. Because, um, like, the only thing that I only argument that I ever hear is rape and incest right. and the life of the mother. Well, those are taken care of. Mm-hmm. So now what's your problem? Because th- those are off the table now. So I like that. Um, I, I think it's okay to compromise on 0.02% of abortions if you're going to ban the rest of them. And really, it's, I, I think it's a good compromise. I think it's a good bill, and I'm happy with it. All right. Ben, appreciate the call, man. Thank you much. Awesome. Thank you. Right. Take care. Yeah, looking forward to that school board meeting. Uh, for those of you in uh, in Fort Wayne, you may hear about some interesting school board stuff happening here in our neck of the woods that may still apply to you guys over there. All right, so that's it. First couple of calls out of the way. We've got a bunch of people calling in. We'll have the calls get screened. We'll take more of those phone calls coming up in just a minute. What do you think of the Indiana abortion law that went into effect? Well, it's not in effect until September, but it got signed by the governor. We'll take those phone calls coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel, and covering for Pat Miller on News Talk 1190, WOWO 107.5 FM. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. Also covering for Pat Miller today on News Talk 1190, WOWO 107.5 FM. Indiana became the first state to debate and pass and get a governor to sign post-Roe v. Wade abortion legislation. We went over the details of that in a little bit. Well, a little while ago. Sorry. Um, And it will go into effect on September 15th. So it's not in effect right now. But it does have some exceptions for the health of the mother, rape and incest. Uh, you got uh, 10 weeks post-fertilization restriction there. The abortions must be performed at a hospital or a hospital-owned um, facility. So abortion clinics basically out of business in the state of Indiana as it stands now. Uh, so, and, and look, there's there's been a lot of debate about the outpatient clinics and that sort of thing that we've talked about a lot. The state of Indiana used to have, uh, go back a few years, had an issue with, being able to inspect abortion clinics. You remember that? Where you had people who wanted to have abortion clinics inspected like a medical facility is normally inspected. And the abortion industry didn't want them to be inspected. They didn't want them to be treated as if they were a medical facility, which is weird because they always tell you that it's about women's health and that it's a medical procedure and the whole thing. And so it's like, why aren't you lining up with the same requirements of any other hospital medical office, outpatient center, whatever. You should be able to line up with all of that. But the uh, the pro-aborts were, were adamant about not meeting that requirement. And, of course, we've had a couple of high-profile, crazy abortion doctors in the state of Indiana over the past several years. And we've also had some people get seriously hurt and even die uh, from the procedure. So this, this is steering it towards you're going to be at a credible medical facility when you get this procedure done, and therefore if something does go wrong, you're more likely to survive. Uh, but I wanted to get your thoughts on this. 574-2595-953. That's 2595-953. Jerry, welcome to the program. Good afternoon. Hey, Casey, no inspection necessary. You know, that's what you just said. You know, the thing is, is, you know, a lot, geez, I guess a lot of these people are going to lose their licenses. Pretty sure Walmart's hiring. You can greet the pregnant women at the door. You know, it's is Walmart, hold on, is Walmart day. hiring? Because I, I might need another job. 
Are they? Well, it's possible. <laughs> I mean, am I old enough be. to be a greeter? Do I have too much energy? <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, the thing is, and this is why I called, and this is worth pointing out, this is as Jackie predicted. Am I not right? She yeah. said this yeah. right away. Yep. Yep. So there you go, brother. All right, man. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. All right. And that was, uh, of course, a reference to Congresswoman Jackie Wilarski. We lost this last week along with Zach Potts and Emma Thompson. Of course, Edith Schmucker was in the other vehicle. But um, when, I, when I was talking with doing the interviews, and obviously I've been, you know, doing interviews with national media the past week after, uh, after the accident. But one of the things that I said is, you know, at least Jackie, you know, kind of got to see this, the Roe thing go through. She didn't quite get to see the state of Indiana. But um, this was one of the issues that she was very passionate about. No doubt about that. She was very passionate, passionately pro-life. And she fought for pro-life issues her entire life and her career. So... Some people felt that she didn't go far enough, but it was always about minimizing the amount of babies who got killed. That was always her strategy. That is um, something that is crystal clear. I think anybody who's actually involved in the pro-life movement would understand that Jackie Wilarski was, in fact, very, very pro-life. So um, this, has been, this has been a good stretch for her um, here towards the end. And it was nice that she was able to at least see the Roe v. Wade thing happen beforehand but you know you said this is this is something where there's the restrictions that are in there uh ben who called earlier basically said look you know all of these things that come up when you have this debate with people they go what about you know rape and what about this and what about that and i i going back we used to do a thing when i was in las vegas we would do a a big giant health week okay um it was a whole thing that multiple radio stations got involved with we were always in a very public place we would do a radio row sort of thing we would have you know, have all of these health-related businesses and experts that would come in. Some of them were just dealing with, you know, vitamins and supplements. And others were dealing with surgery and psychological issues and things of that nature. And I would bring in, with, with regularity, I would bring in the top experts in the area on this issue. Because we would sit there and we would talk about the issues of, of medical advancement and, you know, children were being born. And the reason that I got involved in this is that there was a young lady named Robin. Now, Robin's a young lady now, but Robin was born premature at a time that the law said she wasn't viable. And she was born to some listeners of mine who became very good friends over the years. And Robin is now, you know, she's a young lady. Uh, she's grown up. Uh, at one point in time, her father's wedding band was larger than the, her upper arm, and you could slide his wedding band all the way up over her shoulder. That's how small she was. Um, and she was legally allowed to be aborted. And the reason was she wasn't a human child and she wasn't viable outside of the womb, except she survived. And that really got me thinking as a young guy at the time, in my 20s, it really got me thinking like, okay, well, you know, there's some scientific advancements here and we may need to evaluate this. And I would bring these experts in. And even going back all the way then, and, and advancements have happened since then. I mean, we're talking about somebody who's been in the industry for 17 years. Back then, some of the top um, surgeon in, in the field said, there's almost no circumstance in which we need to abort a child to save a mother. It's virtually something that never happens. So I'll take the experts' word on it. We're supposed to trust the experts, right? That's what they tell us. The more coming up, News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel, and covering from Pat Miller on News Talk 1190, Wawa, 107.5 FM.
And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I'm your host, Casey Hendrickson. Do want to remind everybody that you can watch the show live. Why would you want to? Uh, because I'm wearing a hat that the FBI says uh, makes me a domestic extremist, even though this is used by the United States Navy every single day. But, you know, hey, teach his own. Uh, I will be on the side of the Navy most of the time when they're not doing weird videos with guys wearing rainbow sweaters. And... Not the FBI on that one. By the way, got a very interesting story about uh, Director Ray later on in the show, which I think you'll find slightly amusing. So stay tuned for that. But you can go to rumble.com slash Casey the host, rumble.com slash Casey the host, and you can subscribe to the channel, hang out with us over there. If you are interested, you can also watch the live stream at btmedia.news. That is my new website. It is a conservative news aggregator. It is my daily show prep. It's the podcast. It's the live streams. You can watch the live stream embedded in the website. So you don't have to worry about following me to platform to platform to platform or whatever. If I get kicked off, uh, it'll always be on that page. The other thing is it is a brand new free social network just for my audience. BTmedia.news. I've got to talk about the Alex Jones thing. So I... This is the thing. Obviously, this happened last week. I wanted to talk about it. Everything that happened with the uh, the accident and everything else last week, it, you know, we didn't really get into it. But I, I wanted to talk about the Alex Jones thing. Most of you have been listening to my show for any length of time know that I have serious issues with Alex Jones. Have for a long time. Um, I think that he has gotten better over the years because he has now surrounded himself with better people. And as InfoWars has continued to grow and he's recruited talent, a lot of that talent is very good. And as a result, uh, he's been able to kind of delegate some of that stuff to other people. And I think it's paid off for him. You know, it, it really shows. I mean, he's grown by leaps and bounds. There's no doubt about that. But I remember when Alex Jones was a guy that basically just had this, you know, this little show that, you know, it was syndicated in a couple little spots. And that was about it shortly after he was kicked off of the air in Texas. Um, and, you know, again, just a lot of unsubstantiated conspiracy theories and things of that nature. Has he gotten better since then? Yeah, I think so. And the Sandy Hook thing, I think, is maybe one of those pivotal moments that kind of caused him to, to shift, and here's why. Whether you like Alex Jones or not, here's the reality. He's been apologizing about Sandy Hook and admitting that he was wrong since, like, a month after he said it. And if you were to look at the news media, it would be like Alex Jones is still out there every single day denying that Sandy Hook actually happened. And that's a lie. That's really all there is to it. Every clip that you hear of him saying the things that he said about Sandy Hook and all of that stuff is all old and in the immediate aftermath of Sandy Hook. And he spent years and years and years apologizing, owning up to it, and trying to make amends for it. And they continue to come after him. Now, you have to ask yourself, why is it that they continue to come after Alex Jones for something that he has admitted many, many moons ago he was wrong about? What is, the, what is the logic in going after him? And that's the question that I think you're going to probably have to answer yourself. I've got an answer that I can think of. But let's set that aside for just a second. Okay, Let's just address this case. For those of you who don't know, Alex Jones was sued. Okay, So he gets sued this... Lawsuit comes up again. It's about one of the parents um, who is, you know, with uh, one of the parents of the kids who died in Sandy Hook. And, you know, we're, we're sitting here and we're dealing with 
a grieving family who's upset about the things that were said about an event that took their child, which I can appreciate that anger. I really can't. Uh, the things that I'm seeing about Jackie Wolorski and Zach Potts and, and others, I, I am furious about it. And there is a good chunk of me that wants to go down to the Washington Post and have words with some of the people who were involved in that article. There's a part of me that wants to get on a plane and go to Los Angeles and meet that certain reporter outside of the entrance of the L.A. Times and have words with him because of the things that they said. However, I'm struck by the notion that I really can't sue any of them for posting their opinions. And I'm wondering why it is that Alex Jones can be sued for his opinion. Can we just unpack that for a little bit? If you hate Alex Jones, let's just, for the sake of argument, say that you dislike Alex Jones and you don't trust a single thing that comes out of this man's mouth, okay? Let's just put that in like a neutral position of that's where you may be. I know that many of you are not in that camp. I'm just saying, from a neutral position, if you hate Alex Jones's guts, he still has a right to say what he wants to say. Does he not? I'm old enough to remember many, 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 many years ago, so long ago that many of you probably don't remember. We're talking like, I don't know, a good 24 to 30 months ago. And 24 to 30 months ago, beyond memory, okay, back in ancient history, I remember the news media saying that it was an attack on the free press to say that the news media can't get a story wrong about you and that you could hold them legally liable by suing them. You remember when, when president Trump said, look, you guys lied about me on this, this, and this, I'm going to sue you. You remember how that was an attack on the first amendment. Do you remember that? Well, members of the news media intentionally lied about Donald Trump for a long time about a lot of things. They're still doing it. They're still giving you the Charlottesville lie. To this day, they're still lying to you about Charlottesville and what Trump said after Charlottesville. I still ran into somebody just a couple of weeks ago who is lying to you and saying that Trump said to inject bleach into your body, which he didn't. That was an invention by ABC's Jonathan Carl. It is one that was corrected the day that, he, that it, the incident even happened, mere 10 minutes after the, uh, the president was done speaking. He never said to do that. Never happened. Never told you to drink fish tank cleaner. That never happened either. But the news media continued to say that. And many of them still do. Now, here's the thing. It's one thing if you have, quote, anonymous source. We've been over anonymous sourcing and why that's a pivotal part of all of this. Because if you have an anonymous source, then you're not lying. You're just misled. It's not your fault. Ah. You can't be held liable. But as with Covington Catholic, as with... Kyle Rittenhouse, when you have video proof that what you're reporting is saying is wrong, how can you possibly be shielded? Right? So let me ask you this. How is it that everybody who lied to you about Russian collusion, everybody who lied to you about Covington Catholic, everybody who lied to you about Kyle Rittenhouse. Why is it that they get to escape? And I know that Kyle Rittenhouse is suing. And I know that the uh, Nicholas Salmon, Covington Catholic kid, I know that he has successfully sued, but he just had a case tossed out by a judge. 
and it was tossed out because essentially the news is allowed to give their opinion. So anybody is allowed to give their opinion according to the judge who tossed that lawsuit, meaning a reporter, a journalist, an employee of a news media outlet is allowed to give their opinion that they think something happened, even if they can't back that up with any facts. Why is Alex Jones not afforded that same right? Can I ask you that? Even if he's completely and totally wrong, which for the record, he admits he was. And he has been admitting for years that he was wrong about Sandy Hook. He's issued multiple apologies, yet the lawsuits continue to come. You have to ask yourself, why? Why is that? So he's ordered to pay $45 million in punitive damages. That was uh, right after he was ordered to pay $4.1 million in the defamation case to the parents. Uh, he will appeal. He'll probably win. The judge is clearly biased. <laughs> clearly, clearly biased. A lot of people refer to this as a kangaroo court. Uh, maybe. The judge admonishing him repeatedly throughout the trial is a, a bit problematic, uh, personally attacking him and clearly taking personal some of the things that um, Alex Jones's people have said about her. You know, and you could say, hey, to each his own. He did it first, so she did it. Okay, it, it maybe, but we're talking about a legal proceeding here. Can a judge use their butt hurt feelings to award somebody millions and millions of dollars? that they shouldn't have any legal right to get. So I have, I have to ask this question. How did Alex Jones commit any punitive damages to the family of Sandy Hook? Anybody? I mean, I know that he hurt their feelings. I understand that he hurt their feelings. He understands that. He's apologized for years about it. He tried to apologize at the end of the trial. They did, in fact, play edited clips of him saying some of the stuff that he said. And they didn't play any of the clips about him apologizing to any of this. They didn't do any of that. The prosecution didn't, I mean, I should say. So prosecution is not the right word. You know what I'm saying? So why is it that he's not afforded the same protections as anybody else would be afforded? These are pretty important questions that I think need to be answered. But there's something else that happened in this in this trial, too. It involves his his text messages and his phone. And I want to address that because this kind of highlights how much of a kangaroo court this really was. And it wasn't a real court of law. Because what happened to his phone records was illegal and yet was admissible somehow, some way, even though it's not legally admissible evidence in this case. And we're going to talk about that coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Once again, I'm your host, Casey Hendrickson. Just want to go over a couple of, of posts here. Also covered for Pat Miller on News Talk 1190, WOA 107.5 FM. Um, I get it. a lot of people don't like Alex Jones. Uh, a lot of people don't like the stuff that Alex Jones did in years past uh, when he was ultra conspiratorial and that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, as time has progressed, I think he's gotten much better at that stuff. 
but a lot of people still just apply the same old moniker from Alex Jones of 15 years ago to Alex Jones of today. He, he does a very different program. He's got a crew of people around him, whereas he didn't used to. It's just a different process. But, you know, back when Sandy Hook happened, he got some bad information. He believed it. He ran with it. He went with the whole false flag hoax narrative. Um, he was wrong and was rightly admonished by everybody. And he's admitted that he was wrong. That's the important thing. He has admitted that he is wrong. For years now, he's been admitting it. Quote, I admitted I was wrong. I admitted it was a mistake. I admitted that I followed disinformation, but not on purpose. I apologized to the families, and the jury understood that. What I did to those families was wrong, but I didn't do it on purpose. That's what he said. Okay? So, somebody uh, posting on Twitter, uh, Fisher King, constant harping that speech causes harm is part of a long-run effort to criminalize inconvenient opinion. Been saying this for a long time, and this is how to view Alex Jones. They are setting a precedent, taking easy case, taking an easy case to build law that prohibits challenging narratives. And again, this is something that happened a very long time ago that he's admitted he was wrong about. So why the constant and incessant attacking him over it? This is important. Jason Whitlock. I'm asking sincerely because I do not know. How did Alex Jones harm the Sandy Hook parents or families? He stated a stupid opinion on an internet show. What damage did he cause? And again, aside from hurt feelings, which you can't sue over. You can't sue somebody because you have hurt feelings. There has to be, the legal process is about making you whole monetarily. That is the whole pro- How does this do that? How is that denied to the families by what he said? Neil uh, Katel, something has gone very, very wrong when it's easier to get a hold of Alex Jones's text messages than texts from federal agencies, the Secret Service, DOD, Homeland Security, who are legally required to preserve them. That is an excellent point. So let's talk about that. What happened with those messages? An emergency protective order motion has been filed in the Alex Jones case related to claims in court that lawyers had inadvertently obtained years worth of Jones's phone records with emails showing plaintiffs had not been given approval to use the material in court as it would violate attorney client privilege. Okay, so during the trial, there's a clip that kind of went viral and it showed Alex Jones responding to the revelation um, by Mark Bankston, that Jones's lawyer had mistakenly sent Bankston what he described as, quote, an entire digital copy of your entire cell phone with every text message you've sent for the past two years. That is how I know you lied to me when you said you did not have text messages about Sandy Hook, Bankston claimed. Okay. Now, the news media basically seized on that, right? You can say the news media pounced, right? That's the famous uh, line they pounced. So the news media pounced. They're trying to make this, you could say, similar to a Hunter Biden sort of thing, but not really, which is weird because the news media, again, kind of ignored the Hunter Biden story, which is real. And they they didn't provide any context on these text messages at all. So they just, well, Alex Jones lied about not having text messages about Sandy Hook. Well, the text messages that they're claiming he lied about were text messages that were for various cases and trials that he was communicating with his lawyer about. It wasn't what they were claiming it was. And it was protected by attorney-client privilege. So if something is protected by attorney-client privilege and isn't admissible in court, how did it get admitted in court? 
According to an emergency's motion for enforcement of protective order filed by Jones's lawyers, they did not give permission for the files, which only span a six-month period from the end of 2019 through early 2020, and do not represent an entire digital copy of the cell phone to be entered into evidence in court. The file transfer link, however, inadvertently gave plaintiff access to dozens of other folders as well, including confidential documents such as medical records of Sandy Hook parents who are plaintiffs in the Connecticut litigation and other documents subject to various privileges, including attorney, client, and work product. That's the motion in court. An email shows that the issue was raised by Bankston, who told Jones's attorneys in an email that the files contain, quote, confidential information. Here's the, the letter that he actually sent to Alex Jones's lawyers. My assumption is now that you did not intend to send us this. Let me know if I'm correct. And of course, his attorney responded and said, yeah, you're correct. Disregard that link. It is now apparent that plaintiff's counsel did not disregard the link, but has reviewed and used documents that he acknowledged defendants did not intend to send and appeared to be work product or confidential. Defendants, therefore, seek emergency relief pursuant to Rule 193 Mark 3 and the Court's Protective Order. So essentially what has happened is um, there is a mistake that was made by Alex Jones's lawyers. They sent over email, well, text messages, documents that were on Alex's phone, things like that, that were not relevant to this case and not meant for this case. And the lawyer for the plaintiff said, I assume that you didn't mean to send this, this stuff because this isn't really pursuant to our case. And Alex Jones's lawyer said, you're correct. That is not for you. It was a mistake. Disregard the link. Well, the plaintiff's lawyer didn't disregard it. They went through all of Alex Jones's files in violation of attorney-client privilege and other statutes, by the way, and then admitted all of that stuff as evidence in court. Out of context. That's not allowed. So there's no doubt that this is going to be a big part of the appeals process for Alex Jones's team. Because you're taking stuff that you're not supposed to be taking and you're putting it into court when it's not supposed to be relevant to this trial. And the news media completely taking it out of context. Some of the, the text messages that they're saying, see, he, he had these text messages about Sandy Hook and everything else. Well, those were messages between him and his lawyer about another case. Yeah, they're going to talk about a case when that's the subject of the case. Of course. He's not lying. That's the whole point of it. That gives you just a little smidgen into how this case went real sideways. But at the end of the day, this is really what matters. Alex Jones said something. He was wrong. It was a stupid opinion. He's apologized for it for many years. How is it that he can be sued? They wanted $150 million for him. How is it that he could be sued for that much for simply stating an opinion? But the news media that intentionally lied to you about several other stories gets complete amnesty. More coming up next. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I'm your host, Casey Hendrickson, also covering for Pat Miller today on News Talk 1190, 107.5 FM. You can watch the show, rumble.com slash Casey, the host. You can also check out the new website, btmedia.news, which includes a, a free social network, too, by the way. You can hang out with us. And I, I, while I was getting done, I'm, I'm glad that many of you made this observation. While I was getting done talking about the Alex Jones thing, Several of you hopped onto the live stream and pointed out, you know, the Alex Jones thing looks an awful lot like the January 6th commission. Yeah, it's a fair point. <laughs> it's a very fair point. You know, there, where's my, my microphone went dead. 
I can't hear myself anymore. We okay? Just want to make sure. It didn't go off. Do I talk? Do I do I chat? Here, I'll go back over to this. You let me. You give me a thumbs up, and we're ready to go. I'm okay. I'm just gonna talk to the. I'm gonna talk to the live stream audience. I don't know exactly what happened. Got gremlins in the system. So here's here's what we do know, and I'll repeat this later when we get on the air. Um, so my microphone just went dead on the show. Don't know what happened. We're trying to figure that out right now. But uh, I'm assuming that I am coming under attack for talking about Alex Jones. And uh, I, I mentioned that Alex, obviously, there we go. We back now. All right, good deal. Awesome. So had a little gremlin in the system there, ladies and gentlemen. Do apologize about that, but we're back. And um, <clears throat> uh, Hillary Clinton's assassin failed, okay? So it didn't quite work. They came. They cut the cords. They tried to take me out. It did not work. I... I'm not going to Epstein myself, all right? So, a lot of people pointed out January 6th, was happening with January 6th, uh, violation of due process, the abuse of prisoners, and, you know, constitutional rights violations and things like that. Very similar to what we're seeing with the Alex Jones stuff. And a lot of people are very nervous about this. We're at a point where, you know, in the United States of America, you used to be able to say the things that Alex Jones says. And, yes, a lot of them are very outlandish, Clearly untrue. But I run into far more egregious examples of blue and on conspiracy theories every single day on Twitter than what I've seen Alex Jones say about Sandy Hook. So why is it that he gets sued, but other people who have blue check marks next to them don't? You know, it's just it's not reasonable. People who didn't enter the Capitol, people who didn't engage in any violence on January 6th, they're still being sentenced to prison. How? None of this, none of this is America. It's not how America works. It's not how America should work. And you might very well hate everybody who attended a January 6th uh, protest in D.C. You might very well hate all of them because you're a feeble-minded, hateful bigot. That's fine. You're allowed to be a feeble-minded, hateful bigot in the United States of America. That is something that you are allowed to do. But you don't get to throw people in prison for not doing anything. And that's kind of where we're at. And Alex Jones shouldn't be sued for 40 plus million dollars for expressing an opinion that he admits was wrong and has been apologizing for for many, many years, which also was just an opinion. And a lot of people float fake opinions all the time. These are things that we have to pay attention to. You've also got to pay attention to little tiny stories, little tiny stories out there that might have big impact. And let me, let me kind of explain what I mean by this. So I ran into this over the weekend. Since 2020, the public electric utility Dominion Energy donated nearly $2.9 million to Virginia state-level Democratic candidates and more than $2 million to state-level Republican candidates, totaling nearly $4.9 million in funding. Many states prohibit public utilities from donating to political campaigns because they exist as state-enforced monopolies and lawmakers ultimately determine their profitability. Now, I've talked about this many, many times. I'm from an area that has a government-regulated monopoly in Las Vegas. And when I see these patterns play out with public utility commissions and that sort of thing, I, I've seen the pattern a million times before. For a lot of folks in the Midwest, they haven't seen these patterns before, and so they get caught a little off guard with this stuff. And when you have a public utility commission 
and basically decides what you're going to pay for power, and they don't allow competition to come in. That was the case where I'm from. There were competing power companies that wanted to come into Clark County, Nevada, which is where Las Vegas is, and they wanted to compete because people in Las Vegas pay like $400 for their electricity bill every month, and that's for an average house. You could easily spend that if you're running the air conditioner in the summertime. And there's a lot of people who pay, who pay a lot more. There's some who pay less, but I can guarantee you what a big house here pays is probably still going to be less than what a small studio apartment could pay in Vegas under the right conditions. And as a result, there was a company that wanted to come in. They were offering alternative energy, uh, which was a lot cheaper, would have saved people a ton of money, and the government wouldn't allow it. The government would not allow it. But every time the power company wanted a rate hike, Here's the pattern. And I have repeatedly, my audience in Michiana will back me up on this. Some of you in Fort Wayne have heard it before, maybe. Every time you get a utility company in our neck of the woods who asks for a rate hike, and they have to get permission from the government to do that rate hike, okay? Every time they ask for it, they always ask for more than they actually want. So the government will approve a rate hike for a lot less. And then everybody goes, thank God, it's only 10% instead of 20 and a few months later, they'll come back and they'll ask for another 20%, and they'll get 10%. And guess what? They got their original 20% rate increase. I'm just using that as an example. Okay? Just using that as an example. But that's what happens. The government allows them to constantly do this. And, you know, you got the, the power company basically telling them, look, um, we need these rate increases because you're mandating us to have these green energy initiatives, and green energy initiatives don't actually save anybody any money. They never will. They won't save you any money at all. But they will go ahead and they'll push these things. And they, as a result, they will donate money to the politicians in order to go ahead and get a little sweetheart deal in a back room. And next thing you know, your rates continue to go up. Okay. So this is, a, well, I realize this is Virginia, but this is what happens everywhere, which is why you have to pay attention to these little stories. So Dominion donates to Republicans and Democrats, but faced further scrutiny after it donated $200,000 to the Accountability Virginia PAC, which ran advertisements against then-candidate and now-governor Glenn Youngkin. Dominion later asked for its money back and claimed that it did not properly vet the PAC. Aaron Ruby, a spokesperson for Dominion, told the Center Square that its donations helped give a voice to its employees and customers. Dominion Energy's political contributions are fully transparent and bipartisan and ensure that our employees and customers have a voice in the political process, he said. Well, yeah, any company is going to be able to do that. If you want to hide your donations, you need dark money, which the Democrats are masters of. Republicans do it too, but Democrats are masters of dark money. From 2020 until now, the largest recipient of Dominion funds for candidates in the General Assembly was Luke Torian, who's a Democrat, Okay, which I know none of this means anything to you. Okay, Just trust me, there's a point. Now, he chaired the House Appropriations Committee until Democrats lost control of the chamber in 2022. That's according to the Virginia Public Access Project's compilation of donation information. You can get all this donation information for your state, your local municipality, and everything else online. All right, It's easy to find this stuff. I've given you instructions on doing it many, many times. If you learn to follow the money in politics, you'll start to be able to understand a lot of the little nuances of things that happen. But there's these little stories out there power company okay and i know some of you probably thought this is about the election machines a little power company out there donating money to politicians in order to go and constantly get its rate increases approved that sort of thing these are little stories you must pay attention to 
there's a lot of corruption around you that you aren't aware of. A lot of you are aware of the corruption on school boards now, but you weren't prior to COVID. So now you're able to figure some of this stuff out because it's been exposed. Well, that's been going on for a very long time. For example, locally, there is a superintendent of a local school district here in Michiana who gives money to people on the school board. And it's supposed to be completely and totally separate. But do you think that that superintendent who donates to those school board members for various in various ways, do you think maybe that superintendent has some pull with the school board to get what they want for their school done with the school board? Do you think maybe? I don't know. Let's say you have a superintendent who doesn't want to get rid of the mask mandate. All right. So superintendent totally believes in mask mandates, 100% believes, does not pay attention to the science at all, and just buys hook, line, and sinker into mask mandates, doesn't want to get rid of them, right? School board is under pressure to go ahead and get rid of those mask mandates, um, but they want them. But they've been paying, you know, two, three board members money off the side, whether they're donating to a cause that they chair, whether that money makes it into their back pocket somehow with you know, an in-kind contribution or a donation, or if it ends up going to the family business for their, their you know, main uh, income earning gig, whatever it is. Don't you think that that superintendent could pick up the phone and go, hey, I would like mask mandates to stay in my school. You think maybe that could happen? Of course, and it has locally here. It probably has for many of you listening in the Fort Wayne area too. It is an absolute reality. So I know that they're not sexy stories. They're not interesting to a lot of people. But you've got to pay attention to what's happening with your utilities, these local races. We keep telling you over and over again, your local elections are more important than your statewide elections and your federal elections. Local elections are extremely important. And almost nobody pays attention to them. People are getting better. And we talked about this last week. For the first time, I think, maybe ever, I had a school board candidate interview on the show. How many of you who have been listening to talk radio forever can remember your local radio host interviewing school board candidates on a regular basis? It's not something that was typically done, but school board is now a big race that doesn't get ignored. Things are changing because people are paying attention. So you've got to have to pay attention to this other stuff as well. Um, there's, I'll put this article in the Daily Show prep. I encourage you to look into it. Now, again, I understand it's Virginia. I understand it's not Indiana or Michigan. But the template is the same. The process is the same. And this has happened here. So this will give you a good layout of how this stuff works. If you go to opensecrets.org, you can get all of the money and politics. You can follow this stuff. Uh, it gets a little bit more dicey with local races, but they can certainly help you out with that. And then you're going to be able to track this stuff. And you'll start to see patterns that you normally wouldn't have noticed. We've got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Also covering for Pat Miller on News Talk 1190, WOA 107.5 FM. That actual comment on... Uh, on my Discord server. We're sending enough weapons to Ukraine that when Russia finally takes over, their army will be completely restocked. That's almost like Afghanistan all over again. I'm hoping that Ukraine doesn't fall. But at the same time, we still need to acknowledge reality. And the reality is that Ukraine hasn't been playing by the rules either. 
they haven't been playing by the rules for a long time. Now, after the invasion, I can appreciate Ukraine doing whatever they needed to do to survive. And I've always been very, very clear about that as we have talked about it. But at the same time, it was incredibly damaging to block any and all media that might present the Russian side of things. Does Russia engage in, prop, uh, engage in propaganda? Sure they do. Does Ukraine? All the time. And most of the early stories that we had from Ukraine were actually lies. And they were lies that weren't done by internet trolls. They were lies that were actually concocted and presented and told by the Ukrainian government. And they were trying their best to get the international community on their side. I get that. I'm not even saying that that's not um, a legitimate reason to do that. Because Lord knows if you know they were invading our communities and stuff like that, we would do anything and everything to get everybody on our side. Okay. My issue is you've got to be able to tell the difference between something that's real and something that isn't. Did Russia commit a war crime here or is Ukraine making it up? That sort of stuff. Because both sides have committed war crimes. Both sides have violated the rules of war as established by the international community and international treaty. That is an undeniable fact. And many people will say, yes, but Ukraine is being invaded and they have to to survive. And that's, that's okay. As long as you acknowledge that they're doing it. There is an effort in our country and in Europe in particular to pretend that Ukraine has done no wrong and every bad thing that has happened in the conflict has been because of Russia. As we told you before, uh, early on, remember that big uh, hospital strike that happened to Ukraine? That's because Ukraine had set up in the hospital. Ukraine had set up in the hospital and Ukraine wasn't allowing people to leave the hospital because the entire area had been mined. So if anybody did leave the hospital, they ran the risk of running into a mine and getting killed. Okay, So they stuck it out in the hospital while Ukrainian units operated at upper floors. Russia hit the hospital. Ukraine used it as propaganda. If you need to understand the Ukrainian strategy, they are doing the exact same thing that the Palestinians do. They are engaging in military operations in civilian areas in order to get Russia to attack. When Russia does attack, they then use that as propaganda that Russia is attacking civilian areas. So, you know, it, it, this is this is basic strategy anyway. Any Anybody who's got more than two brain cells, if you're not allowed to attack certain areas of a country, where is that army going to operate from? Right? Everybody understands this. So as long as you can look at this from an honest perspective that... Russia's invaded Ukraine. We want Ukraine to prevail, but that doesn't exonerate Ukraine when they do things wrong. Then we can have a conversation. Um, what we do have is we got 4.5 billion more being sent to Ukraine. So that's a new thing. Amnesty International is telling everybody, look, we don't really care if you're upset at us for observing Ukrainian soldiers setting up in schools and hospitals and us telling you about it. We don't really care. That's what happened, uh, which also confirmed uh, World Health Organization, not World Health, uh, uh, sorry, United Nations uh, report from earlier in the month, which also confirmed previous uh, news stories from journalists who are independent journalists who were stationed in Ukraine anyway, who are telling everybody, hey, this was something that was kind of caused by the Ukrainian army operating out of this hospital. But the push internationally to make that a war crime was absolutely huge. Why? Because they didn't just want your money, they wanted they didn't just want your weapons, but they wanted you to end the war. And if the United States is going to get involved in this thing, uh, let's just say officially, I don't want to make it on a lie. It, it's got to at least be something that's true. 
And that's always been my concern about this conflict. Both sides are lying to you. Both sides are doing bad things. As long as you can stay level-headed about that, you'll be fine. More coming up. Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Also covering for Pat Miller on Newstalk 1190, WoWo, 107.5 FM. Good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. Don't forget, you can watch the show, rumble.com slash Casey, the host. Also covering for Pat Miller on News Talk 1190, WoWo, 107.5 FM. This entire week, you're stuck with me. So, Pat will be back next week. All right. Um, cue my audio, please. This is at a Pride event in Pennsylvania. Now, let me set the stage here. There is a stripper pole. At this family-friendly pride event in Pennsylvania. And on the stripper pole, okay, you have a child who looks like he's maybe 11 or 12. The kid is practicing his stripping. And he's getting instructions by what I assume is, only because this is at a pride event, a gay guy wearing, uh, we'll call it European swim trunks. He's got no shirt. No shoes, but he's given all the service, right? So this kid is on the stripper pole. This guy, who's not wearing much, is giving him instructions on how to do tricks on the stripper pole. Kid's like 11 or 12 years old. Now I want you to listen to the ladies in the crowd. All right? Pay very close attention because they're totally not coming for your kids. Climbing the pole. Mm -hmm. Spinning. Oh, sexy. All right, cool. I'm assuming that's a grown woman. All right. I realize he doesn't know much. He's young. Ben, what happens if me, a grown man, says that's sexy to an 11 or 12-year-old girl who's stripping on a stripper pole? I'm going to jail. Ben got something right. Has to happen at least twice a day. So, I'm going to jail. Yet, there's ladies around watching this dude who's wearing a rainbow tutu twirl around a stripper pole after getting instruction from a guy who's not wearing much clothing at all at a family-friendly pride event. Because after all, ladies and gentlemen, you know, it's funny, I... I took some flack many years ago. I was half joking. Um, when you come from where I'm from, you, you, you know a lot of strippers. All right? It's just how it is. Okay? And it is physically taxing to do that. All right? So many years ago, there was an actual consideration. This is a real thing. An actual consideration that pole dancing be an Olympic event. Okay? Now, I'm assuming... Mm, that the Olympic event will have a bit more clothing involved than what you would typically find at your run-of-the-mill uh, club. But I could be wrong, okay? Could be wrong. But I, I said, I'm like, honestly, this is far more worthy of being an Olympic event than, like, ping pong. And I love ping pong. Don't get me wrong. Ping pong's great. But pole dancing is a physically difficult job. It's got all of the dance choreographic stuff of... Uh, you know, whatever the, the swimming dealio, the swim choreography, whatnot, gymnastics and everything. It has all of those elements in it with physical strength and fitness and stamina. It made sense. So I made the argument, half joking, um, that this would be a decent addition to the Olympic lineup. Okay. 
Now, of course, I joked about viewership going up. <laughs> okay. But a lot of people thought I was really serious and got upset because kids watch the Olympics and they didn't want their child watching somebody pole dance on television. And that makes perfect sense. So we have come from that, which is just a couple of years ago, to take my 11-year-old and teach him how to pole dance and we'll call him sexy and nobody's going to arrest us. That's, but they're totally not coming for your kids. They're not coming for your kids at all. Speaking of people who are coming for your kids, let's talk about Michigan. Now, this is not in our Michigan neck of the woods, but this involves kind of everybody. So these Michigan libraries doing these stupid uh, drag drag story hours and, and things of that nature. I've already been over the history of drag on the show a million times. I've already given you my assessment of it. I've had um, drag queens contact the show. I've had transgender people contact the show. And they've repeatedly backed me up on this. You need to understand something. The trans community and drag queens in general, they're not supportive of what is happening. Okay. There is a very radical small segment of their communities that are promoting this stuff to children. The vast majority of them are mortified by this. So uh, there's actually a really good, uh, I think they got expelled off of Twitter. I don't know if they're back on. Uh, uh, Gays Against Groomers is one, one such account that you, you should pay attention to. But nonetheless, a Michigan library is facing the possibility of closing down. Why? Well, voters rejected a millage over LGBTQ literature in the library. Now, I'm not saying that no library should have this literature. I'm just saying that what happened is you overpushed, and as a result, you're going to get an overcorrection. And so now you've got a bunch of parents who are like, oh, you want to come to us for taxpayer dollars? You want me to spend $24 approximately more per year to keep you opened, library? Well, if you want to come to me for funding, then I get to say what you have as your books. And I don't like the fact that you have preteen LGBTQ plus material in your library. So take it out. And the library said, no, we're not taking it out. And as a result, the people voted down the millage by wide margins. The vote was actually 62 to 37 percent. And the library didn't get the two hundred forty five thousand dollars that it needed for its operating budget. Now, it draws that from local property taxes, and the voters rejected it. Why? Purely because of the material that was in the library that was objectionable to the community. Okay? Again, I'm not saying that I agree or disagree. Really not. It's not my community. Not a big deal. But this is what happens when you push this stuff, and you try and shove it down people's throats, and you try and force them uh, into into acknowledging or accepting it. uh, And as a result... You're going to get an overcorrection sometimes, and that's where people are going to come in and go, "Mm, nope, you want our money to stay open? You're going to take this stuff out. If you don't take it out, you're not getting our money. Really is that simple. So they lost the millage vote, and as a result, they've had to set up a GoFundMe account. Now, keep in mind, they need 245 grand to stay open. Okay, This library does. 245 grand to stay open. They have raised, as of right now, $63,648. Now, will they get to it? I don't know. It's been four days. As the story goes viral, I'm sure that people in other communities will donate to keep the library open. 
Um, I've been calling for most libraries to be closed down anyway for many, many years. Although I do like that some of them are putting maker spaces in. I think that's a wise move. Any library with a maker space, I think, can stay open. The rest of them can, you know, shut down as far as I'm concerned. But this is the stuff, okay? This is the stuff that you have to be aware of because sometimes they want you to fund their activities. And if you are not in favor of the activities that they want you to fund, you oftentimes have some redress. And if you're going to go to a family-friendly pride event, there should probably be family-friendly stuff there and not not family-friendly stuff there. And I'm willing to bet the vast majority of people would not find an 11-year-old swinging from a stripper pole after getting instructions from a mostly naked guy and adult women calling said 11-year-old sexy, I don't think they would find that to be family-friendly. And it's not even prudish to say that. It's just not something that's considered appropriate. Now, once again, what if that were an 11-year-old girl? And instead of ladies... Even if there were ladies, okay? Even if there were ladies saying to an 11-year-old girl, oh, you're sexy, swinging around a stripper pole. <sighs> People would absolutely lose their mind. But if it were guys, even if they were gay, if there were guys looking at an 11-year-old girl swinging on a stripper pole at a family-friendly pride event in Pennsylvania, everybody would be furious, and rightfully so. Nobody furious about this. Nobody. Here's the thing. Let's say this kid is straight. I don't know if he is. Let's say the kid is straight. Okay? He's at a pride event. I'm assuming he's there because family brought him. Okay? Do you think that he's going to grow up to be the type of guy that you want your child to date? Or do you think he's going to be a Chad? What do you think he's going to be? What do you think typically happens when you expose young boys to that stuff at a young age? What type of a, of a dating partner do they typically end up being? They typically end up being chads. And if you don't know what a chad is, look it up. But it's not something that you want your, your daughters, or if, you're, if they're gay, your sons to be dating. You want somebody, you want somebody who's going to have respect and treat your child right. Correct? Chads don't. Highly likely that he's not going to grow up to be the good guy if this behavior is promoted and endorsed in his young life. we got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Something's afoot. I don't know what yet, but I don't like it. Casey Hendrickson here on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel, also covering for Pat Miller on News Talk 1190. Whoa, whoa. 107.5 FM and online at rumble.com slash Casey, the host Casey, the live stream app isn't working. Sometimes what do I do? If only we had a rumble stream for you to watch, <clears throat> you could do it right there. And that's only down like one or 2% of the time. So we, we got the rumble thing. Pretty, pretty good to go. All right. So here's, here's where things are getting weird. Axios has just been sold. Now, some of you are like, okay, not a big deal. Axios is Axios. They, you know, one out of 10 articles is actually decent. But they sold for $525 million. And I'm sorry, Axios ain't worth half a billion dollars. They're just not. But they sold for $525 million. 
So who bought Axios? That is an excellent question. They were bought by Cox Enterprises. Okay. Don't know why. Axios has signed a deal to sell to its most recent lead investor, Cox Enterprises, the company announced on Monday. The cash deal values the company at $525 million, according to sources familiar with the deal. It was signed on Sunday. It includes an additional new investment of $25 million in Axios media arm to help the company expand across its local, national, and subscription news products. Okay. Well. Hmm. Um. Cox Internet just got it got declared the fastest internet service in the country. I don't know if there's a connection. I'm just saying something's afoot. Pay attention. I don't know what's going on. Casey, that's tinfoil stuff. I didn't even really say anything. I just said it in a way that would make you think it was tinfoil stuff, and I just told you two stories. <laughs> that's all I did. Are they related? I don't know. Longtime Oklahoma football coach has resigned from the team because, well, he said the N-word, uh, Cale Gundy. An assistant football coach at the Oklahoma University Sooners and the longest tenured football coach in the Big 12 has resigned from his dream job because he got in trouble. Well, he, he, he said the N-word, but he was quoting somebody else. Now, maybe he should have known better. You're, yeah, maybe. Okay, here's the thing. This guy's he's been there forever, right? His, he went to school there, he's coached there forever, his kids went to school there, and he's now out of a job because he did, you remember when teachers would see you like passing notes and then they would grab the note and like, I'm going to read this to the class no matter what it says. And then you'd be mortified because you were saying very inappropriate things in the note. Like, you know, not, not like inappropriate things to each other sometimes, uh, but definitely inappropriate things describing the teacher, right? So the teacher reads that out loud. And you're embarrassed, and you're mortified, and everybody's laughing at you, and it's a whole thing. He did that, but the player that he read the note from used the N-word. So he read it verbatim. He's like, all right, give me your phone. That's so interesting. We're going to read it to everybody. And he did, and he read it verbatim. And because the N-word was in there, he read that word. So as a result, everybody's mad. So now pasty white guy who's been coaching there forever has got to lose his job player who used the n-word not so much so once again we fall back to is n-word bad or is n-word only sometimes bad which one is it because it kind of depends on who you're watching on late night cable television (laughs) to tell you which one it is some will say it's the most horrible word that's ever worded while simultaneously allowing it to be popularized in pop culture. And others, um, staunch opponents of ever saying it at all, period. So, it's, again, he should have known better because we've seen multiple examples of this. We've had teachers be fired for reading quotes. We've had books, some of the greatest works in all of literature, be completely canceled from schools because they have that that word in it because they're period pieces. And as a result, he should have known that he couldn't have said that word, especially being a pasty white guy. But he did. He was just trying to read it. Um, He's probably around these guys all the time, felt comfortable with them. It turns out that they were not loyal to him at all, and he's lost his job now. So the school that he went to 
the school that he's coached at for all of these years. Okay. Um, see, he's he's worked for the school for over 30 years. Okay. So he went to the school. He's worked for the school for over 30 years. He's been a, uh, the longest tenured Big 12 coach. His kids all went there and graduated there. And now he's out of a job because he quoted somebody else, one of his players. That's why he's out of a job. And a lot of you probably have an issue with that. And I can understand why you have an issue with that. But he should have known better because you're not allowed to do that anymore if you be a pasty whitey. Okay? You've got to be a certain demographic to be able to use that word. And not everybody even agrees on that because sometimes they don't even agree on that. I also want to talk about illegal immigration because these are a couple like clearinghouse stories that I've been holding on to for quite a while. We definitely want to get these out of here. So I think it's adorable that the mayor of New York and the mayor of D.C. are losing their minds that they had a couple of busloads of illegal immigrants sent to their cities. I think that's hysterical. And how many how many times over the years have we said, all right, just take the illegal immigrants that the Democrats want in and bust them to their cities? How many times have we said to do that? We finally have a governor who did. So Governor Abbott in Texas, he invited several mayors, including the mayor of D.C., the mayor of New York, to the southern border so they could actually see what's going on. Because both of them attacked Texas, not wanting to let illegal immigrants in. Very publicly, they did this. So he said, well, if you want to attack us, why don't you come see what's actually happening on the southern border? And they both refused. So what he did is Governor Abbott took two busloads and sent them to New York. And he took other busloads and he sent them to D.C. And these few people, it's all they are, it's a few people, not many, have basically, according to the respective mayors, ground their cities to a halt, so much so that the mayor of D.C. requested the National Guard to help, and the Pentagon denied her request. Mayor Eric Adams went onto social media complaining about two buses, two buses of illegal immigrants being sent to his city. Two buses. How is he going to deal with it? Two buses. Imagine being on the southern border. Imagine. This is why I'm going to D.C. next month. Imagine being on the southern border and listening to this guy complain about two busloads of people being sent to his city after they had attacked the governor of Texas for not wanting to accept illegal immigrants into the state. Everything that they believe contradicts another belief. Everything they accuse the right of doing, they themselves do. Every single time. Go to rumble.com slash Casey the host. Rumble.com slash Casey the host. Hit that subscribe button. You can also head over to btmedia.news, daily show prep, brand new free social network, and tons more. Btmedia.news. Some great stuff coming up, including what is the deal with FBI Director Ray's flight that he had to get out of that committee hearing for? It's a good one. We'll talk about that next. Good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I'm your host, Casey Hendrickson. All right. I'm also covering Pat Miller. News Talk 1190, 107.5 FM. I want to thank the Fort Wayne audience for joining us. You can watch this show on Rumble, rumble.com slash Casey, the host. We're live streaming over there. So Director Ray from the FBI last Thursday, he appeared before the U.S. Senate 
He was answering questions about the Bureau's conduct. Again, the Bureau has come under fire justifiably for a lot of things lately. And in the midst of that, um, he said that he, he really needed to kind of like get out of there because he had a flight to catch, right? So his time of being questioned and giving answers was short because he had a flight to catch, right? He's, he's a director of the FBI. You assume if he's got a flight to catch and he's not going to answer questions, you know, to the Senate, you would assume that it's kind of an important thing, right? Well, it turns out um, <laughs> the flight that he was rushing to get to was not at a normal airport, right? Um, he, he wasn't trying to get a scheduled flight. He actually hopped onto his taxpayer-funded private jet, which is a Gulfstream 550, and he wasn't going anywhere on FBI business, but he was going on vacation. So he really had a flight to catch, to get out of there and not answer any questions to the Senate. So New York Post wrote a whole thing about it. Grasley's staff did not know where Ray was going after the hearing in FBI Public Affairs did not respond to an email Sunday by press time. But the luxury FBI Gulfstream Ray uses was recorded on Flight Radar 24, making the one hour and 12 minute flight later that afternoon. Oh, he was uh, he was going to a lake. Isn't that nice? Happens to be a favorite summer destination uh, since his childhood, yada, yada, yada. So that's nice. He's avoiding answering questions about FBI conduct by going on a vacation flight. Isn't that nice of him? Just thought you'd, I thought you would like to know that Director Ray, after getting completely hammered on a lot of conduct with the FBI, which has frankly been illegal, um, he decided to go ahead and skip out on questioning to go on vacation. That's nice of him to do. I want to talk about Rachel Maddow. Now, earlier, if you missed it, we talked about Alex Jones. I felt it was important to talk about the Alex Jones lawsuit. And I provided you some inside details, maybe, on the trial that you probably hadn't heard. I uh, also went over just the basic question of how is it that Alex Jones can give his opinion about something and be sued for it repeatedly over and over and over and over again for years, even after he's admitted he was wrong and he apologized. Why is it that he has to go through that, but nobody else in the media does when they intentionally, verifiably lie about somebody? And that is the real crux of the question. Enter Rachel Maddow. And we've got to talk about Rachel Maddow because Rachel Maddow is key to a lot of this because she's got a very similar issue. You see, Rachel Maddow, like Alex Jones, spread a conspiracy theory actually she's she's both of them have spread several but i'm just you know specifically she repeatedly pushed the trump taxes lie she repeatedly pushed the charlottesville lie she's repeatedly pushed the trump russia collusion lie and she was asked about this actually in a recent interview and what i find amazing about it is that she's justified her lying to you about Trump-Russia collusion by bringing up another famous member of the news media. See if this sounds interesting. This is an interview in Vanity Fair, okay? And she was asked about her coverage of the Steele dossier and the Russia hoax, all right? So, this is in Vanity Fair. We also got into a back and forth about her dossier segments. Trying to turn the Russia scandal into the dossier or trying to turn the dossier into the Russia scandal is a revisionist history designed to intimidate people out of covering stories like that in the future, she said, and to try to obscure the seriousness 
of what Russia did and what the Trump campaign's relationship was with what Russia did. You realize what Rachel Maddow just said? Rachel Maddow just said any attempt to smear her coverage or anybody else's coverage okay, of the Russia hoax is just really an attempt to censor the press because they're trying to gaslight history and they're trying to pretend that Russia didn't do what it did. What did Russia do? Specifically, what did Russia do? I want to hear her say it because she's going to say something that isn't true. I want to specifically hear her say what Russia did. Will she? Maybe, maybe not in the future. I don't know. She didn't in this interview. The other thing is, she then said Trump's campaign relationship with Russia and what they did. So she didn't really tell you what Russia did. And then she told you that the Trump campaign had a relationship with Russia while Russia did what she won't say they did. Except all of that's been disproven. It was all a hoax. And when she was asked about it, she just fell back on, no, no, you're just, you're just trying to censor the press. Vanity Fair continues, I suggested that Maddow's coverage may have given viewers a false sense of hope that Trump was about to get taken down, not unlike how, say, viewers of Newsmax may have been led to believe that the 2020 election was about to be overturned. At this point in our conversation, Maddow did something very Maddow, reaching back into the past to make a point about the present. Uh, first of all, it's a false characterization about Newsmax and what they've reported, but I digress. So she went into the past, right? Like, I mean, you're giving a false sense of of uh, optimism to the you know people out there that Trump might be impeached and taken down. That wasn't going to happen, was it? You were bearing your responsibility to that, and she she dives back into the past. Who does she pull up from the past, ladies and gentlemen, to justify her lying right now in Vanity Fair, lying about the Russia hoax? So what did she do? Who did she pull out of the woodwork to justify this? Dan freaking rather. This is what she said. That's what she said. Do you remember what the Dan Rather scandal was about? Referring to the 2004 controversy in which the legendary newsman's career came to a screeching halt over a 60-minute segment based on allegedly forged documents. No. Confirmed forged documents. Not allegedly Vanity Fair. They were forged. They were fake. Not allegedly. They were fake. How long ago is 2004? I know it's Monday. Do the math. Have they ever been able to prove that these documents are real? No. Have they been able to prove that they were faked? Yes. Multiple times. They've had forensic Experts all over these documents. That's why Dan Rather got fired. Not because he failed to corroborate the authenticity of them. He got fired because he made them up. And in the process of discovering that he made these documents up, we found out that he made up a bunch of other stories too. Just like Brian Tip of the Spear Williams, who lied his entire career to gain your trust under false circumstances. And here's Vanity Fair going, allegedly forged documents. They were confirmed forged, you idiot. So anyway, this is what she continues to say. There was a document that was involved. He was reporting on, like, how did George W. Bush avoid going to Vietnam? How was his National Guard service arranged? Why did he get this coveted spot in this group that wasn't going to be fighting? 
The story of George W. Bush getting a sweet gig in the National Guard so he didn't have to go fight in Vietnam was true. No, it wasn't. So, Vanity Fair. Alex Jones just had a ruling against him for over $45 million for spreading a lie that he admits was a mistake and was not intentional and has apologized for for many years. You have Rachel Maddow still telling you the Trump-Russia collusion hoax is real, even if the dossier was fake. And you've got her telling you that the story about George W. Bush getting a sweetheart deal in the National Guard and therefore uh, avoiding service in Vietnam was a real story, even if the documents were fake, while Vanity Fair is giving her cover. Those are three major, major lies about an individual. Well, two individuals. Several, if you include everybody in the Trump campaign. Where's their lawsuit? I know George W. Bush doesn't care anymore. He's given Michelle Obama candy. So, interesting, right? Alex Jones gets sued for it. These are people who are without a shadow of a doubt telling you lies and they get away with that? But Alex Jones got information, ran with it early, shortly after, apologized for it. It was like, I don't know, a couple months or something like that after they first reported it. He finally admitted it wasn't true about Sandy Hook. And he's still being sued all of these years later. But you got Vanity Fair and Rachel Maddow lying to you right now in real time about something that's demonstrably false with actual physical evidence. And that's okay. Interesting. Don't you think? The Dan Rather story about George W. Bush getting a sweetheart post in the National Guard so he didn't have to go to Vietnam, was true. No, it wasn't. He tried to go to Vietnam. They denied him. Donald Trump working with Russia to do what Russia did, she won't say what it is, is true, even if the dossier is a fake document. No, it isn't. That was false, too. Yet that is okay. Wonderful two-tiered system we have here, don't you think? More coming up. Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel, and covering for Pat Miller. On News Talk 1190, 1075FM. And just in case there's Bush derangement sufferers out there, because there always is, clearly Rachel Maddow is still one of them and Vanity Fair is still one of them. Here's an old article. The first American jet fighters to be deployed to Vietnam were F-102s of the 509th Fighter Interceptor Squadron. When Lieutenant Bush, that's George W. Bush, signed up for fighters and joined the 111th, he stood ready to deploy to Vietnam, as did every other Air National Guard pilot. In fact, he tried to volunteer for Vietnam. Of the four pilots I spoke, uh, spoke to who flew with Bush in the Texas days, Fred Bradley knew him the best. They had met before going off to the year-long ordeal of pilot school and entered the 111th at about the same time. Both were junior lieutenants without a lot of flying experience, but the inexperience didn't prevent Bush, along with Bradley, from going to their squadron leaders to see if they could get into a program called Palace Alert. Inexperienced pilots. There were four of us lieutenants at the time. 
and we were all fairly close. Two of them had more flight time than the president and me. That's what Bradley said, okay? All four volunteered for Vietnam. Bradley doesn't remember whether he and Bush actually signed paperwork, but he specifically remembers both Bush and himself trying to get into the Palace Alert Vietnam program. Bush and Bradley were turned away. The two other more senior pilots who had more experience went to Vietnam. Okay? That's the story. Not that Bush got out of going to Vietnam because he's Bush. That's not how that went down. And to have Vanity Fair and Rachel Maddow still lying to you about this, in spite of Dan Rather's story being completely and totally debunked with all the forensic analysis of his fake documents in conjunction with the other stories with other documents in which he faked, all being uncovered, is far worse than what Alex Jones has been accused of with this latest lawsuit. Because they know that they're lying. They know they're telling you a falsehood. They have evidence proving that what they're saying in this article this week is wrong. And by the way, it's a spectacular self-own for Rachel Maddow to justify spreading the hoax about Trump-Russia collusion by using Dan Rather spreading a hoax about George W. Bush to justify her commentary. That's Absolutely hysterical. For additional historical context, the F-102s were an aging plane that were on their way out of service by the time that Bush was able to get trained up on it. That aircraft had been basically phased out of Vietnam. And it was, a, it was an aircraft that was notoriously difficult to fly, especially with visibility. They had a big old giant bar that went down the canopy. So you had basically one eye on the left side of the bar and one eye on the right side of the bar made it very difficult to see things. And they eventually phased it out. By the time he had enough flight experience to go to Vietnam, it wasn't an aircraft that they were using anymore. But it's okay. As long as Rachel Maddow and other people who still suffer from Bush derangement syndrome, as long as they can continue to lie about him and Vanity Fair will be like, yeah, that's a true story. No, it isn't. It's a lie. Absolute, total fake news will be featured on Fake News Flash. No doubt about that. Now, coming up, I'm going to tell you an amazing story about a Democrat staffer. Some of you who subscribe to my Rumble channel probably watched a longer version of this today. I'm going to tell you an amazing story about a Democrat staffer who did something awesome. You know what? I got time. I got two minutes, right? Ballpark. Minute and a half. Okay. I'm going to do it quick, and I'll just refer you to Rumble for the rest of it. In 2020, a Democrat staffer from Congressman Schneider, Democrat of Illinois, dressed up as an FBI agent, complete with duty belt, badge, gun, and everything else, and a car with lights, and went to a Trump rally as an FBI agent. We don't know why he was there. He ordered fake plates, a fake shirt, dressed up as an FBI agent, okay? Then, so now federal offense, pretending to be an FBI agent, right? He's open carrying a gun in D.C., huge, massive crime in the city of D.C. He gets spotted by the Secret Service at this Trump rally. He gets in the car, turns on the lights, and takes off. Eventually, they catch up with him. A high-speed pursuit with speeds reaching 35 miles per hour, Ben. (laughs) Why is that funny? Because the, uh, the, the Secret Service agent was chasing him was on one of those electric bikes that went 35 miles per hour. Then at a bail. This guy 
This guy stole 80 grand from the taxpayers. He was, they dropped the charges of impersonating an officer and they gave him nine months for stealing the 80 grand. What would happen if that was a Republican? Holy smokes. Have you seen what they do to people who don't even go into the Capitol on January 6th? Think of seven years. This guy gets nine months. Got more coming up. Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's news channel, also covering for Pat Miller on Newstalk 1190, WOA 107.5 FM. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. Also covering for Pat Miller on Newstalk 1190, WOA 107.5 FM. All right. I've uploaded two video segments today, and I've been doing that this week instead of the early show just because my schedule is still a little nuts, but uploading pre-done videos is working. So you had two new ones. I went into great detail about that last story with the Democrat staffer who dressed up as an FBI agent, went to a Trump rally in 2020, and that he was finally sentenced last week, and the amazing details of that story i broke them down for you in video form on rumble go to rumble.com slash casey the host watch that one the other video i uploaded deals with the jobs numbers uh, because the jobs numbers were not good Uh, anybody who's telling you the jobs numbers that were just released were good is not analyzing the jobs numbers they're not good at all we'll get to that here in a second Elon Musk says that he might revive the Twitter deal if a key condition is met. Remember, uh, Elon Musk buying Twitter. Twitter didn't want him to. He was able to force the sale. Uh, then they they didn't do a proper audit to get the bot number, so the number of fake accounts that were on Twitter. As a result, he backed out of the deal. Now they're suing to force the deal to go through, um, which, of course, forces discovery. <laughs> and so now he's saying, look, you, we can avoid all of this. You just do this one thing. And we'll avoid the courts and all of this stuff. If Twitter simply provides their method of sampling 100 accounts and how they're confirmed to be real, the deal should proceed on original terms. That's what he wrote over the weekend. However, if it turns out that their SEC filings are materially false, then it should not. So Elon Musk is basically saying, because Twitter, for those of you who don't know, Elon Musk thinks that there is a large percentage of Twitter that are bots. They're not real people. They're just bots. Okay. Twitter says, no, that's totally not true. And he doesn't believe them. So he demanded that they release information on how many bot accounts are on Twitter. So what Twitter did is they took 100 accounts and only 100 accounts for all of the accounts on Twitter. They took 100 and they did a sampling of them. And they're like, oh, there's only like like 1% bots or whatever it was. And he's like, yeah, that's bull. No way that's real. And so he canceled the deal after they refused to release uh, their methodology. So now he says, look, if you release it and it's it's okay, we'll go forward. If it's not okay, then the deal shouldn't go through. Now, obviously, he's posturing for, because this is legally, this is going to give him more ammunition as he goes into court. I think at the end of the day, he wants Twitter, but he's trying to expose what Twitter has done here, Okay. Now, let's get into this jobs report. So one of the things that we've known um, up until this latest jobs report release, and I went into more detail on this on Rumble today. So understand, I'll give you some information here, much more detail on Rumble uh, earlier today. Up until the jobs report that was released last week, there has not been a single job created in this country under Biden. Not one. 
Not a single one. They can run around and they can tell you that we created a record number of jobs, whatever they want. No. When you turn an economy off by clicking the off switch because of COVID, and then you click the on switch and everybody can go back to the job that they already had, and that's all artificial, you don't get to say you created or there's recovery. That's not what happened. Okay, There was no market fluctuations or anything like that requiring dynamics to create new jobs. It's not what happened. You don't get to take credit for people that you sent home. Okay, This would be like my boss coming in, if I have the sniffles and say sending me home one day, and then I still had the sniffles the next day, and he said, stay home. And then when I came back that day after that, him going, wow, we just hired you. You're a brand new employee. Here's the employee handbook. Welcome, everybody. We have a new employee, Casey Hendrickson, just started with us today. Doesn't make any sense. It's the same job I always had. So they're trying to take credit for stuff that isn't things that you take credit for, right? Prior to COVID, there's a certain number of Americans who had a job. Up until this jobs report was released last week, less Americans had a job than before COVID. Now, that is only changed because of the latest jobs report. So naturally, everybody's running around. They're looking at uh, the jobs report. They go, see, we're not in a recession. Even though we meet the definition of recession, we're not in a recession. Take a look at the jobs report. The jobs report is amazing. Only it's not. You see, buried in this jobs report is a statistic that's not getting a lot of attention. Do you know what it is? Ben, do you know what it is? No? Oh, nobody read the jobs report? You just relied on everybody to tell you what it, what it said? Wow, that's so American of you. Yeah, um, we lost 71,000 full-time jobs. Did you see that? Did you? Yeah, full-time employment down 71,000 jobs. Not up, down. We had increases in people getting a second job, and we had increases in people getting a part-time job, which are going to be the same people. We lost... 71,000 full-time jobs. That means in the month of June, there were 71,000 more full-time employed Americans than in July. In July, there were 71,000 less full-time employed Americans. That is not a good number any way you look at it. And what's adorable is some people going, oh, no, it's the economy just means you have, you have, more, you have more, um, more opportunities to find another job. Yeah, no, that ain't, that ain't how things work. If you're making enough money to pay all of your bills and live comfortably, do you go get a second job? Nope. Very few people are motivated to do that. Those are usually people who have a goal. Okay, They're trying to pay something off, trying to buy something, trying to take a vacation. They take a second job because they don't have anything else going on. Maybe they're single, they're bored, maybe they're workaholic, whatever. And they're trying to, to strive towards something. Very few people find a second job if their primary job pays their bills, and they can live comfortably. You only take a second job when you need more money. As people are pointing out on the Discord server, uh, U6 number is the best number to look at for unemployment. Labor participation rate got worse. So they're lying to you. The jobs numbers are correct. It's just that we lost 71,000 full-time jobs. And that is not good. doesn't matter how you shake it. That's terrible news. More coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel, also covering for Pat Miller on News Talk 1190, WOA 107.5 FM. Good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. 
I'm your host, Casey Hendrickson, covering for Pat Miller this week, not just today, the entire week. So if you tune in tomorrow, rest assured, it's a planned thing. We've known about this for some time. It's taking some time off. I'm just covering for him so he can. So, I, I look, I hope Pat rests up because uh, he's going to be in D.C. with me. I have plans. Okay, I've got plans. Pat doesn't know I have plans, so don't tell him. Don't tell his wife. Definitely do not tell his wife. But I've got plans. I've got plans for old Pat. All right. Rumble.com slash Casey the host. If you want to go watch the video, which much more details, okay, much more details about uh, all of the uh, topics that I talked about here in this hour because I did two videos today and I uploaded them. Also, I want to give credit to some listeners last week. We mentioned that the Choco Taco was going to be leaving the market. Now, if you've never had a Choco Taco, we can't be friends. Choco Tacos are amazing. But Klondike was like, we're going to kill off the Choco Taco uh, so nobody will be able to munch on the Choco Taco anymore. And some people said, and, and I alluded to this because I wanted to give them credit for this, this is a marketing ploy because we've seen this before, haven't we? Something's going away. We even joked about the furniture store that's perpetually going out of business on the show. Oh, Klondike is hinting that the Choco Taco may return after consumer outrage. It's almost like it was planned or something. It looks like you all were right. The death of the Choco Taco looks like a marketing ploy, ladies and gentlemen. This is see, this is why this is why we have trust issues. Go to rumble.com slash Casey the host and BTmedia.news. We'll see you tomorrow.